Welcome to the Church in the Graveyard podcast. The book of Romans is truly one of the high peaks of the Bible. It is an intimidating mountain to climb, but the view from the top is well worth it. In the first four chapters, we hear that all have sinned, but the Apostle Paul takes us to the heart of why Jesus is such good news. We discover that his gospel changes everything about how we see the world. It means peace, it promises holiness, it beckons us to freedom, and it calls for love. For more information and audio content, please visit us at neac.com.au. The first reading comes from Genesis 15, verses 1 to 6, and that's found on page 13 of the Pew Bibles. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Hi, everyone. Our second reading is Romans chapter 4, verses 1 to 15. Uh, If you're looking along the Pew Bibles, it's page 1115, 1115. What then shall we say about Abraham, our forefather, discovered in our matter, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages, are not credit, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them, 
And he is also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value, and the promise is worthless, because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Hey folks, I'm Roger. It'd be great if you had Romans 4 open. Romans 4 is what we're looking at tonight. And thanks to Nick for saying circumcised so many times. Uh, Tonight we're going to hear something that we need to hear over and over again. Tonight we're going to hear something that we need to hear over and over again. That we have nothing to boast about when we stand before God. We have nothing to boast about. Not our works, not what people group we're a part of, and not our keeping of God's law. Uh, In a sense, I'm really just saying the same stuff that Matt said last week from the tale few verses of Romans 3. But when God repeats words to us, I think it's because we need to hear them again and again and again. I'm a parent. I have three delightful children, uh, Josh, who's seven, Maddie, who's four, and Georgia, who's three. Uh, And as a parent, I find myself saying the same things over and over and over again until I want to scratch my own eyes out and rip my tongue off and staple it to the wall. Put your shoes in the shoebox. Please use a spoon to eat your wheat bix. Please use a spoon to eat your wheat bix. I say the same things again at get your feet off the table. Things I'd never think I'd have to say. Stop licking that window. <laughs> of the train. there's something about the little ones that they just need to be told again and again and again what the right way to think and act is. There's something about little ones that just needs repetition. And I think when we stand before the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it's so astonishingly different to everything else that we encounter in the world, that we just need to hear that the gospel is a free gift again and again and again. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask tonight that as we look at your word, you would speak to us, that you would clarify in our hearts, in our minds, and make clear in our lives uh, that we trust you Uh, that we know that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is a gift to us, not by anything we do, but something you do entirely. Uh, Refresh us, Lord, we ask, as we hear your word tonight. Amen. Uh, Well, as I said, I think there's there's three questions that were raised in the tail end of chapter 3. If you have a look with me just at the last few verses of chapter 3, we're looking there on the passage that Matt preached on last week. 27, verse 27, it's right in the top left-hand corner of page 1015. Three questions that are raised. Where is boasting? 
verse 27 and 28. Second question, verses 28 and 20, uh, 29 and following. Is God the God of Jews and Gentiles? And third question, verse 31, can we ignore the law? They're the three questions that are raised in that little section. And I think chapter 4 is the answer to those three questions. So if you have a look, just scan your eyes over chapter 4. The answer to where is boasting is in verses 1 to 8. It's not by works. You don't get right with God by doing stuff. It's a gift. Not works, but a gift. So don't boast. The second question, is God the God of Jews and Gentiles? Yes. Is answered in verses 9 to 12. Do you have to be one of Abraham's physical descendants? That is, have you had the snip as a, as a mark of who you belong to? No, not one people, but all people are given this gift of being right with God. And third question, verses 13 to 15. So can we just ignore the law? No. The last little section we look at, verses 13 to 15, is going to say that it's not obedience to God's law that gets you right with God, but it's a gift. It is a gift. It is a gift. It is a gift. If I appear to be repeating myself tonight, it's because I'm convinced that God is repeating himself to make it perfectly clear that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gift that comes by faith. Now, we're going to hear a word a couple of times tonight. Uh, the word credits. Now, when you look at your bank statement, don't you love the word credit? You love the word credit. Hey, I got something. I've got something. It's mine. It's given to me. Now, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but the, I just want to kind of let you to keep your eyes peeled for it as it comes up in the passage. Uh, the word credited or counted uh, is this idea that really this whole passage hangs together on. So, uh, let's have a look at the first little section, answering the question, can we boast in what we do? Can we boast in what we do? Uh, have a look at verses 1 to 8 of chapter 4. The tricky part about this is that if being right with God is a gift and not something that we earn, it's completely different to every other part of our life. The way that people treat you is, on the whole, earned by your treatment of them. Does that ring true for you? The way that you treat people in general is how they treat you in return. The way that uh, you are given money is not that your boss appears once in a while with a little paper bag with a bow on it and says, guess what, I've got a surprise for you. Here's some money. No, no, you organise what work you will do and how much you will get paid. By the way, if your life is not like that, let me recommend it to you. That's how wages are meant to work. In the world, almost everything that we encounter is on an action-response basis. It's science, it's maths, it's beautifully simple. This gets this. But the gospel is different because the gospel is a proper gift that is unearned and it makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Have you ever been given a gift kind of out of nowhere? I'm not talking about Christmas because that's the gift of kind of duty, which is ironic given that it's about Jesus. But, you know, I'm just talking about a random gift that someone gives you just because. It's the perfect gift for husbands to give, by the way, gentlemen. Uh, just because. 
It comes out of nowhere, it's for no apparent reason, and it's lavish. How, how do you feel when that happens to you? Or how would you imagine you feel if it's never happened to you? A teary moment for some of us, sorry. Um, it's a little bit awkward. Wow, I don't know what to say. Thank you, what can I do for you is my first response. Oh, I have to do something back. It's so ingrained into us that we have to do something to earn that the gospel, when it comes as a gift, is a massive surprise. Abraham's the example. uh, And he's answering the question in the first few verses, do I earn the gospel? These verses are beautiful because they point us to Jesus. So look uh, at the text, chapter 4. Verse 1, what shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? What is he talking about? What is this matter? It's the three questions we've already addressed. If, in fact, verse 2, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. But he didn't, because he didn't do anything. And there's the quote from Scripture, verse 3. It's a quote from Genesis 15, which we heard read. Abram believed God. And it was counted, it was credited to him, ding, 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 as righteousness. He did nothing except to take God at his word, to hear God's promise. I will give you as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. Not, you know, in Newtown where you can go kind of one, two. Well, that's not very many. No, country sky where there's bazillions of stars. Abraham's old and crusty. His wife is even older. They have no children. And God says, you'll have so many descendants, you can't count them. And instead of going, (laughs) yeah, right, Abraham does what God says. He walks to the place where God tells him to go. It's just, it's it's exactly the same as the fishermen that were doing their work by the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus shows up and says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. If I was them, I would have thought, what are you talking about? But when Jesus says, follow me, when God says to Abram, go where I say, the examples of faith that we're given are people who take God at his word and live in light of God's promise. That's faith. Living in light of the promises of God. It's not a work. It's trusting God at his word. And the quote there from Genesis, it is credited to Abram as righteousness. Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Can you say that about yourself? That you believed God and it was credited to you as righteousness? In case you don't know what Paul's actually talking about, the details are just back on the facing page in your Bible. Verses 22 and 23 Spell out what he's talking about. The gospel is this news that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, made righteous, freely by his grace through what Jesus does on the cross. It's a gift. Have you believed God and has it been credited to you as righteousness? Can you say that with your own name in there? Uh, My name's Roger. Roger believed God and it was credited to me as righteousness. It's a profound thing because I don't deserve right standing with God. I have not done good 
In fact, I am thoroughly wicked when it comes to doing good in the world. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by the faith that comes through Jesus Christ. Can you say this for yourself? If you've never turned to God and say, Lord, I believe your, I believe your offer is a real one. Tonight is as good a night as any. If you're convinced that you've fallen short of God's perfect standard and that Christ died and rose for you, turn to God and take him at his word. Ask someone that you've come with or that you know here what it means for them to live this life of faith. Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Not by works, but as a gift. It's what makes Christianity, by the way, completely different to every other religion. Every other religion is do this, do this, do this, and God will do something for you. You earn God's approval. You get to somewhere. Christianity realises that we're too broken for that. And if we're going to be with God, it's going to be on as a result of something that he does. Not by works, but as a gift. Number two, who gets to be in God's people? Well, look around. It's obviously kind of university-educated, inner-west, quasi-hipsters. No, hang on. Uh, If you were living in Rome at the time this letter was written, uh, you'd ask yourself, who are these people? Who are these Christians? Do you have to be a Jew, one of Abraham's descendants? Do you have to be a Jew to be part of God's people? Well, let's look. Verses 9 to 12. Is this blessedness, this being forgiven like King David was forgiven, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Okay, now, circumcision was something that happened to Abraham after he took God at his word, after he was counted as righteousness. That's really all that matters through this little passage. When was Abraham forgiven? After. You can say it quietly to yourself. When was Abraham forgiven? After he was circumcised or before? Before. When was circumcision? After he was forgiven. It's a response to the goodness of God, a response to the promise of God. In our world, we're used to do a thing, get the prize. You know, I have small children, so simple things work for me, Uh, knocking over the things at the sideshow and you get the big teddy bear. You knock them over, you get the prize. Being part of God's people is not doing a thing to earn God's approval and therefore getting accepted. It's not that you have to get circumcised, thank you, thank heavens, and then be part of God's people. But before Jesus... It was tempting to think that if you were part of this people, this privileged elite that God had put his blessing on, then you were in. That is not the case with the gospel because there is one God who forgives Jews and Gentiles. And the proof is in the Abraham pudding because he was credited as righteous before he was circumcised. That's what verses 9 to 12 talk about. What really matters is how you live in response. See verse 12? He's also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It's just a nice link there between walking in the footsteps of the faith. Uh, In the Bible, it's tempting to put 
faith and doing stuff as opposite to each other. But if we trust God, then we'll walk in the footsteps of what happens as a result of that. When Jesus said to the disciples, follow me, they demonstrated their faith by following him. When Jesus dies on the cross and says, this is for you, we demonstrate our faith in him by taking him at his word. Righteousness comes not by doing stuff, but as a gift. Not by being part of one people, but by the same faith that Abraham had. It was credited to them. And thirdly, in verses 13 to 15, does it mean that if being part of the people of Israel, God's people, who had the law, if it doesn't matter which people group you're a part of, can we just ignore the law that God gave to Israel? If the law is a thing that makes you do good things, and we know that doing good things doesn't get you into heaven, doesn't get you righteous, can we just ignore the law? You kind of want him to say yes, don't you? But actually, the law gives us an insight into what God loves. Let's have a look at these last few verses. Now have a look at verses 13 to 15. It wasn't through law, verse 13 says, that Abram and his offspring received the promise that he'd be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. It wasn't through the law that anyone received righteousness. It was through faith. The law is not a way into righteousness. The law, like circumcision, like doing good, is as a result of being counted in the people of God, as being credited with this Righteousness, this perfect standing before God that Jesus has earned. There's lots of good questions that we should have about how to read the Old Testament and specifically the the laws that are there. Uh, And the tail end of Romans will go into a fair bit of detail about the relationship between the gospel and the law. But at this point, the main concern is that the law doesn't get you into heaven. Faith. In Jesus is what gets us right standing with God. It sounds a little bit like I'm repeating myself because Paul's made the same point three times. Not by works, but as a gift. Not by being part of one particular people, but by faith for all people. And not by keeping God's law, but by faith in God. Uh, In In the tail end of chapter 4, which we'll talk about next week, there's a great little line about God calling things that are not as though they were. Just have a look at the last sentence of verse 17. God gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but in the first four chapters of Romans, nowhere... At any point, has there been an instruction for the Christians to do anything? There's been no commands of how to respond to God. It's just fact. Romans chapter 1, God's glory has been shown in the heavens. Romans chapter 1, God's wrath is being revealed. Chapter 2, no matter who you are, no matter what people group, you've fallen short of God's perfect standard. Fact, fact, fact. Chapter 3, fact, Christ died for sin. God made him the sacrifice of atonement. 
the turning away of God's wrath. Fact. You haven't been asked to do anything. You haven't been commanded to do anything. The first command in the book of Romans doesn't come until chapter 6, verse 11. And I'm intrigued by the word that Paul uses. Have a quick flick to it. Chapter 6, verse 11. It's just over one page. 11.17. In the same way, Paul says, as Jesus, his death and resurrection, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, we'll get the chance to talk about this at length in years to come. But right now, what was the word that was used? Count yourself. Consider yourself. Act as if this were true. Count yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's the same idea as your faith being credited to you, counted as righteous. Because... I'm going to say this a couple of times because I think it's at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. We ought to live in the way that God says we really are. We ought to live in the way that God says we really are. See, who are you? You, like me, are a creature, one of God's creations. Deeply loved by him to the extent that he would give up his son's life for you. And God has said when you turn to him in faith, I am counting you as righteous. And my guess is that you probably don't feel particularly righteous at the moment. I mean, you've sung some songs and said some prayers. You might have even talked to a new person. Well done. Hang on. Your righteousness isn't earned by what you do. You might be feeling righteous because you're part of a people who go to church. Oh, hang on. You don't get God's righteousness by being part of a particular people. Or you might be feeling a bit righteous because you've done some good things this week. You might have not murdered anyone. You might have, you might not have committed adultery. You might not have stolen some stuff. That's in the Ten Commandments, right? You've You've obeyed God's law. There's part of you that could be tempted to feel a little bit, hey, I'm acceptable to God. But the reality is, for you and for me, that we are far from acceptable to God by nature, but he has counted us as perfect as Jesus is perfect, as beloved as Jesus is beloved, as Sure of eternal life, as Jesus is sure of eternal life. By faith, credited as righteous. That's you, that's me, that's us. And so the fallout of this is that we should consider ourselves as God has said we are. Your conscience will say to you, you aren't good enough for God. And on that your conscience is right. But Jesus has said, have my goodness. Your conscience will say, you're not like these other people who look like they're part of God's people. Your secret things that you're ashamed of, the stuff that you do again and again, that you can't seem to stop doing even though you know they're wrong, that cuts you from being part of God's people. 
that doesn't exclude you from being part of God's people because Christ has paid the penalty for all our sin. See, when we count ourselves, when we consider ourselves in the way that God has said we are, we're free. We're free to respond to the grace of God. It's a bit of a tricky freedom because there's so much we could do. We're free to do all the opposites of the don'ts in the Ten Commandments. You know, don't commit murder turns into pursue life in all its fullness for people. Don't commit adultery becomes pursue faithfulness in all relationships. Don't covet means transforms into live this life of rampant generosity, just like God has shown us in Christ. We will be tempted as individuals and as a church to think that we're not good enough for God, that we somehow stand before him based on what we do. But the truth of the gospel, repeated again and again and again, is that Christ has done what we could not, and by faith we are counted as righteous by God. It's a beautiful, freeing gift Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, we thank you again uh, for the way that you've treated us as your creatures. Uh, We know that we haven't treated you or your people or your world as we ought, uh, and yet you've demonstrated your love for us in sending your son Jesus to live and die and rise that we may have sin forgiven and life in him. Help us, Lord, to see ourselves as we really are, always sinners, counted righteous by the work of Christ. Help us to walk in the footsteps of faith, to live as people who've been counted as righteous by you. We thank you for this great gift. In Jesus' name, amen.